reaching from way down here. Yeah. Yeah. From way down here. Welcome to Thread, a podcast designed to explore God's story and lead you into a full life in Christ. Thank you for joining us in this conversation, co-hosted by myself, Hannah D'Souza, and Dr. David Pochter. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Thread. We're starting a new series today, and it's called God's People Birthed, and the next eight podcast will cover Genesis 12 right through to Exodus 11, which is the calling of Abraham and Sarah up until the Exodus. So we're moving now from the creation and the flood and Babel or Babel, as Dave says, to what is often called the age of the patriarchs, which is exciting. And if you have a visual, if you're watching us, you'll be able to see the titles of the episodes that are coming up. But before we jump into all of that, we have a special guest today, and actually our first guest we've ever had on this podcast, and it's Dr. Courtney Bailey, all the way from Jamaica. Welcome. We'd love to hand it over to you, you, Courtney, to share a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Hannah, and thank you to yourself and Dave for inviting me to join the podcast. Well, I I am, to introduce myself, an attorney at law who's in private practice, but also a self-supporting teacher of the Bible. I live in Kingston, Jamaica, and I, on my own journey to properly read and understand the Bible and teach others to do so, I ended up with a PhD in theology, specifically in New Testament studies. And currently, I got that degree in 2020. My journey continues because in the last two years, my own research and teaching passion has been reading and understanding the Bible as a story and teaching that to Christians. So I'm happy to be with you because of what you're doing on this podcast. Well, that's exactly why we asked Courtney to join us for this conversation. We attended a conference together, actually the three of us, a week or two ago, and Courtney presented on this topic of story, and he tied in some insights into Abraham, which is our conversation today around Abraham. So we invited him, and he graciously accepted. So it's really great to have you today with us. So thanks for coming. It's great being here. So as we frame our journey here through Thread, you'll be able to see online here or be able to download the chart again about the Old Testament and how we're framing this over this first year of Yahweh and the people. So we just finished this era of God's world created. We're now moving to God's people birthed. And we, as Hannah said, we'll have eight episodes on this. As we begin this era, there's some really important observations that tie us back into the meta-narrative, the story that we've been talking about here together over the last few months. So the God who called the world into being that we spent a lot of time talking about in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 is now going to make a second call. This one will be addressed to Abraham and Sarah. And, you know, the big question is why? And I think we've, we've probably talked a lot about, you know, how creation has gone astray and why God needed to start with another approach. So Yahweh's hope in this call to Abraham and Sarah is ultimately that all of humanity can be brought back into unity and harmony 
but he approaches this from a much more granular grassroots individual level with the hope of actually helping to affect the whole world. So as we dive into this, there's two really important, I think, observations from the book of Genesis that will tie us to what it is that we're trying to accomplish with the thread through the narrative. So let's talk about these two here really briefly as we unpack this. One, Yahweh forms the world, and now we will see Yahweh form Israel. So the way that we've seen God bring chaos into structure and order and meaning in Genesis 1 and 2, we're now going to see him do the same thing with individual people's lives and with communities. So this call of Abraham and Sarah is not just the forming of Israel, so to speak. It's actually the reforming of creation. There's a really important idea that that gets introduced here, and especially as we talk about this podcast being about not just story, but spirituality, that a key element of our spirituality is transformation. And we're going to see that for the rest of the three years that we spend together, how important transformation is to our own individual walks with God. So that's number one, Yahweh forms the world, Yahweh will form Israel. The second thing that's important as we begin this conversation is in contrast to most of the creation that we've seen so far, maybe with the exception of Noah, we see Abraham and Sarah receptive and responsive to Yahweh's call. So with this idea of receptivity, we start seeing this relationship develop. So we talked you know, even in the very beginning, I remember, Hannah, when you were introducing the whole idea of the podcast, you said, year one is about Yahweh and the people. Year two is about Jesus and the people. Year three is about the spirit and the people. This really introduces the Yahweh and the people part. So now we see this relationship form. And as this begins, we start seeing these important elements that get introduced to the story. And two that we're going to pick up here that become really important through the rest of the biblical narrative is promise and faith. In other words, Yahweh is a God who makes promises in his relationships. And faith is what's asked of us. And really at the very grassroots level, what that means is that we trust that Yahweh's promises are going to be fulfilled. So this really makes this story one of beginnings in the sense of Yahweh and the people. It's a beginning. Genesis 1 through 11, as we've already looked, serve as background and context to this narrative that's about to unfold. So what we're about to see happen is the creation, again, of Israel or the formation of Israel or we could even say the reformation of creation to form Israel. So when we get to Abraham and Sarah, by the way, one of the things I'm really looking forward to is in two more episodes, Hannah is going to lead us through a discussion of Sarah and Hagar, which I think would be really powerful. But as we focus here on Abraham and Sarah and their story, what's significant is just how much biblical landscape they take up, right? So one of the things that you learn when you study Hebrew narrative is whenever you start seeing the the story moves really fast, like it covers hundreds of years in a couple sentences. 
And then it slows down and we focus in on a person. And the biblical writers are telling us this is important. And so that's what's happening here. The story slows down. We narrow in in Genesis 12 on this calling. And we really have chapter after chapter after chapter of this story. Sarah doesn't die until Genesis 23, Abraham in Genesis 25. So in all that, as much as this becomes really important, we're only going to be able to cover a couple narratives or a couple episodes in this narrative. So today we're going to deal primarily with Abraham and these promises that are made. Next episode will be on this covenant, which becomes another important theme that gets introduced. In episode 13, we'll talk about that. And then in episode 14, we'll talk about Sarah and Hagar. And then we're going to have to move on. So we're going to do our best to cover this important material, but obviously there's a lot we won't be able to cover. So anyway, there's a lot going on here, right? So we felt like the best way to look at Abraham in this context of what we're doing here with Thread is to stay at this high level. You know, we talked about the Google Earth image, right? How do we see the big picture of what's going on with Abraham and his life, what God's doing? How does that tie in to the meta narrative? And the uh, maybe best way to frame that is to look at these seven promises that Yahweh made to Abraham. What we're going to see is how these seven promises that were made really shaped Abraham's life, but even more, it shapes the rest of the meta-narrative of Scripture. And so we'll hope today to make that a little bit clearer as the three of us talk about this. So anyway, that's the plan. So by the way, Hannah, I have a really cool and nerdy thing <laughs> that's happening here today. Okay. Do you know what episode number we're recording today? It's 12, right? <laughs> It's 12. And do and you know what chapter we are oh, in the book of we're Genesis? At 12. <laughs> okay. Dave's dad jokes. I know. I said it was nerdy. <laughs> we didn't even uh, plan yeah, right, that. That's, jokes. That is cool, though. Very. <laughs> yeah. Nerdy, nerdy, nerdy. That's all right. We, we can nerd out as we desire. <laughs> so, Hannah, maybe you should bring us back here. Let's, what we're going to do, we'll look at two passages that frame this whole conversation Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Genesis 17, 6 to 8, and in those two texts, we see seven promises made. And I think, Hannah, if you were to read these, and then I'll, I'll kind of walk through what are these seven promises. But let's start with Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Okay, so in this one text, we have five promises that are made. God says, or Yahweh says to Abram, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. That's number two. Number three, I will make your name great. Number four, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. I always viewed that as like a, as Abraham's bodyguard, <laughs> right? Must <laughs> I'm be nice to make sure this all works out. And then number five, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So we see five of the seven promises here. Let's read Genesis seventeen six to eight for the other two. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. 
I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Okay, so we see some overlap here, but we also see two new promises. Promise six, kings will come from you. And promise seven, to your offspring, I will give this land. Now, for those of you watching this on YouTube or in the app, what you're going to see here is a diagram where we have the seven promises to Abraham. And I didn't put them in the same order that we just read them because you're going to see from this diagram that if you order these the way that we put them, it actually helps to kind of create an outline of what will take place in the rest of the biblical narrative. That's a pretty big deal. So what you see in this diagram is promise one, two, three, four, five across the top. You see the specific quote and where it comes from. But we did something on the bottom that I think will help our listeners to process what we're addressing here. If you were to take the 66 books of the Bible and you were to, and we've already talked a lot about how there's so many different types of literature, right? So we have poetry and we have wisdom, we have prophets. So a lot of that, a lot of the literature in the Bible is written and can be applied on top of this underlying storyline. But the storyline can be told in 15 books of the 66. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, that first five books are the Torah, the Pentateuch, they tell the story all the way up to entering the promised land. Then we pick up the promised land with Joshua, and we see that unpack with Joshua, Judges, Ezra, and Nehemiah. And then we get to the, the time of the United Kingdom and the divided kingdom. So in other words, the time of the kings. And remember the promise, kings will come from you. And that really gets fulfilled in 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings. I'm not including 1st and 2nd Chronicles because there's a lot of overlap there. But then when we get to the New Testament, the story of Jesus and then the story of the church plays out in maybe the best way to represent that is the Luke-Acts narrative. So what we can say here is that these seven promises that are made to Abraham really become this outline of what's going to happen for, for Abraham specifically, but for Israel, and then eventually with Jesus coming and the church and all that's going to happen through the beginning of just this call right, to Abraham. It's actually fascinating to look at. So all that that's that's I know that's a lot to take in. This is where the chart really helps. If you do have the app, we made the chart separate so you can actually on your app scroll to the bottom and you can take the PDF and look at the chart and keep it for yourself and pray over it, think about it as you read in your quiet times as you're studying these things out. So let's dive into these promises. We need to hear from Dr. Bailey here. So what I want to do for the rest of our time is let's talk through these seven promises and let's see how they start becoming this framework for the story. So the first promise that we read about in Genesis 12 is, I will bless you. 
So when we look at these seven promises, we're going to take some time now and really break down what each of these promises looks like and how it really became this framework of the story. So let's talk about promise one, I will bless you. So Dr. Bailey, what is Yahweh's blessing look like here? Yeah. Well, I, I think that's a big question, Dave. So let's go quite simply. I think it refers to the fact that God wants to bring what is good and what is favorable into our lives. And uh, I think the way these texts work is that the use of repeated words are meant to connect a particular passage with another one. And so this reference here to I will bless you is intended to bring us back to Genesis 1 at creation, when we're told that God blessed mankind and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. But it's not only meant to take us back to Genesis 1, it's meant to take us as well back to Genesis 9, where God blesses Noah at the recreation after the flood. And God said there that he blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So when we get to Genesis 12 and we're told that God says to Abraham that I will bless you, we're supposed to understand that God is starting over again. This is a new creation. And again, at the forefront is God's blessing. And it's coupled with this idea of being fruitful and multiplying and, and filling the earth. Now, I, I think what it's meant to underline for us is that God's purpose in creating is to bless. This word bless or blessed or blessing appears five times right here in Genesis 12. And I think it's meant to convey to us that this is the very heart of God that God wants to bless us. He wants all that is good for us. And so really, we are the ones who get in our own way because sometimes we can be our worst enemies by getting in the way of God's plan to bless us when we disobey. But God fulfills the promise in Genesis by blessing Abraham and his offspring materially, but he also fulfills it through difficulty by multiplying Abraham's descendants. And so I think this is the idea of, I will bless you. It's a great promise that God fulfills in Genesis, but it tells us something about how God wants to bless each one of us individually. I love how you threw in there too, by the way, God blesses us through difficulty. That's going to be a major theme that we're going to pick up mm. and trace out. So that, that the was The question great. I have, I wonder if either of you could speak to, is I think it's it's interesting that Abraham or Abraham is this first, he's, we've gone from kind of the macro to the micro, and he's the first patriarch of kind of this chosen nation. But his introduction is kind of underwhelming. He appears in Genesis 11 in this lineage of Terah, and there's no distinguishing qualities that kind of set him apart as why he's the one that God is focused in on with this relationship. And I even you mentioned Noah, I think the introduction to Noah, for example, in Genesis 6 began with him being described as this righteous man who was blameless in his age. And we don't, we don't see that with Abram. I'm curious what you think about him as God's choice. You know, that's part of one, I think, the, the beauties of this story. And I think it's part of what the beauty of scripture tells us is that God loves us because God loves us. His response is what qualifies him. God calls and he says, okay, all right, what does this mean? You know, but he's willing. 
we've seen so far in creation an unwillingness to do God's will or to follow God's intent. So in some ways, it's just his willingness that qualifies him. I even love how right at the beginning, you know, we read, he believed God and was called righteous. So what made him righteous, where Noah, you brought up, Noah was blameless and righteous. Well, what makes Abraham righteous? He just believed God. He trusted that what God said was true. I just think that's, that. to me, that's a part of the beauty of this, the simplicity. I agree with Dave that Abraham, what scripture highlights about him is his faith. And this is one of the reasons that God, God says he credits it to him as his righteousness. But I think the, 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 the other aspect to this is the fact that God is the one who's chosen here. And I think you're right, Hannah. There, there is a sense in the text that he is, there's nothing special about Abraham in another sense, but that it is God in his grace and in his own goodness and in his sovereignty that chooses Abraham and invites him into a relationship with him. And so I think, we, I think both things are, are true, and we have to hold them, as Dave would say, in tension. To, to get at the truth, we, we, we do have to hold intention, the fact that God chooses, but that we must also choose. Both are true and, and both are exemplified in Abraham. Great. Way to tie intention. It's Dave's favorite word. Love that. So I've heard. <laughs> it's one of my favorite. Yeah, so I've heard. <laughs> so let's talk about promise too. So the second promise is I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. We were joking here about the bodyguard concept. I mean, it's, there's this sense of God walking with us in this promise. God will walk, Yahweh will walk with Abram, with Abraham. So you mess with Abram, you mess with Yahweh, right? If you're good to Abram, you're, you're good with Yahweh. We're just going to put up a slide on this one and let our listeners maybe study some of these stories out. But what you see through Abraham's life, whether it's Lot, his nephew, or it's Sarai or Sarah, his wife, or it's Abimelech, another ruler, or Hagar, or his or Abraham's servant, or Isaac. What we see is when you're good to Abraham, then God is good oh. to you. When you step against in any way Abraham, then you're dealing with Yahweh. So you have this sense of divine protection that really starts coming to play in this blessing or this mm. promise. So anything either of you would add to that? I think that's great, Dave. And I think, it, I think the point is that God is for us. And mm. if he's for us, who can be against us? I think that's the point. It's a, a comforting thought. Mm. Yeah. Amen. Amen to that. Bodyguard for <laughs> Hannah. Yes, please. Uh, promise three. <laughs> so let's talk about promise three. So, so this one's interesting. We see this introduction of the idea that, that Yahweh wants to make Abraham great, right? So he says, I will make your name great. Courtney, why don't you unpack that one a little for sure. us? Sure. And, and, and again, I, I think the words are repeated in a sense from Genesis 11.4, where at the Tower of Babel or Babel, whichever you prefer, <laughs> but the, the people said, let us make a great name for ourselves. So they're, they're trying to ascend to heaven to make a name for themselves. And here we find in the following chapter, God is saying to Abraham, I will make your name great. So God is willing to give to Abram 
what the people at Babel were trying to take. Just as he wanted to give to Eve what she was trying to take in the garden, being like God. God had already made her in his own image. So we have the sense that God wants to give us what we want, but being like God and greatness are not about exalting self, which is what Eve was trying to do in the garden, which is what the people at Babel were trying to do by building this tower. But being like God and greatness are about humbling self so that God will exalt us. And Jesus shows us this in Philippians 2. We're told that he comes down. And because he comes down from God to be man, that God gives him a name that is above every other name. And so I think the idea here is that God wants to make us great, but we have to allow him to do it and not try to make ourselves great through our own human ways, thinking and systems. So this also ties into the theme that Hannah, you and I have talked about with Eros, this passion that when when we are born, there's this passion inside of us that we want to live life and fulfill you know, this call that we feel to do something with this energy that God's given us. And so that's not wrong, right? It's not wrong to have Eros, but it's how we fulfill it. So I appreciate you bringing that up, Courtney. Part of what's interesting in history here is to look at how Abraham's name really did become great. I mean, certainly for us as Christians, we look at Abraham as the father of our faith, but it's true in many world religions. In Judaism, he's one of the most important figures. He's not only a patriarch, but the founding father of the Jewish tradition. Uh, Islam recognizes him as both prophet and patriarch, and in some ways an uh, archetype for the perfect Muslim. Even in the Baha'i faith, they would consider Abraham kind of what they would use the language of the highest religious station, this, this kind of model ideology or this ideal of what to aspire to. So you can in some ways argue that Abraham's name is more recognizable globally and looked to than Jesus Christ because there are more faiths that turn to him and look at him as this kind of patriarch. So God certainly fulfilled that promise, right? Let's look at promise four. We're going to spend, uh, Hannah and I will spend a whole episode unpacking promise four somewhere down the road, maybe episode 20 or 21 when we get to this next era. But I will make you into a great nation. So here we have this one man who can't have children, and God is saying, I'm going to make you into a nation of people. That's pretty significant. And a nation doesn't just mean a large gathering of people. So again, we're going to put up a, a, an image here for those of you watching. This just looks at what does it take to become a nation? You don't just need a large population of people, but you do need that. So you need people. We see that developing in the Genesis story and the Exodus story. You need leadership structures. We see that play out in Exodus. You need money, right? If you're going to run a nation, God has a plan for that. You need your own independence. Exodus 14 tells us how that happened. You need governing structures. Exodus 18, you need your own law, both civil and spiritual law. That, that plays out in Exodus 20. You have to develop your own kind of culture. One of the things that Hannah and I talked about in the, 
Babel. I, I feel like every time I say Babel now, I have to say it <laughs> all do, three ways. What do you say, Courtney, in Jamaica? Say, babe. I can tell you what I say. I say Babel. No, I thought you were going to be on my <laughs> but, side. But, but there are Jamaicans, I'm sure, who say Babel. Mm, okay, hybrid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did make the case, though, with Hannah that when someone's talking too long, what are they doing? They're babbling. Yeah. Babbling. They're babbling. <laughs> you got me with They're that. They're not babbling. <laughs> you know. All right. So, Bab, we did talk about all the unique cultures and languages that have already developed, but that that's part of what makes a nation a nation is they have their own culture. Uh, they're going to need a military. They're going to need to develop a strong faith. They need their own land. All of those things are important. And so when this promise is made, I will make you into a great nation, it actually means that God will do all the transforming work necessary to develop this group of people into a nation that can stand on its mm-hmm. own. So we're going to see, we'll, we'll spend an entire episode on that one here coming up. That'll be fun. That's one of my fun, that's actually one of my favorite things to talk about, God's transforming work in the desert in the 40 years. So tune in. <laughs> to a future episode. So let's talk about promise five. And Courtney, maybe you can help us with this one. This promise is to your offspring, I will give this land. So Courtney, how do we get from one man wandering around this land to him saying to God, to Yahweh saying, I will give your offspring this land. Is this something that happens in a week, a month, a year? Yeah. One of the great things I love about the the Abraham story is that God's promises take so long to be fulfilled. (laughs) God literally waits until the guy's 100 before he gives him this child. I mean, couldn't he have given it to him at 85? I I think there's a point there. And similarly with this land, it's not something that Abraham actually got to inherit himself because he dies and he he purchases land to bury Sarah in and he's buried there, but he doesn't actually inherit all of it. What happens is he has a son called Isaac and God promises Isaac the land as well. And then Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau, and God promises the land to Jacob. And then Jacob goes down to Egypt and he's there with his descendants for 430 years. And then eventually when the time was right, God sends Moses to bring the people out of Egypt back to Canaan, to this promised land. But before they, 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 they get there, they spend about 40 years in the desert through their own rebellion and disobedience. But I think the idea of the land being the promised land is, I don't know, five to 600 years from the promise to the time that God actually does fulfill it. And the people enter the land with Joshua and begin to conquer it and to possess it. But the point is that no matter how long it took, it did happen because God does fulfill his promise. But as well, I think the promised land is a new Eden. It's a place like Eden where God could again dwell with his people and be with them. And so it's described with this beautiful language in some places called the beautiful land, a land of milk and honey. It is a special place where God gets to be with his people as he builds this nation through which he's hoping to reach all the nations of the earth. Well, I love how you connect that to Eden. Uh, you know, this, this part of the world is called the Fertile Crescent. And comparatively to a lot of the surrounding area, it was one of the most fertile areas. 
Uh, it's sometimes called the cradle of civilization. It was this br important bridge trade route between Africa and Eurasia. And we see just this really impressive record of human activity there throughout, you know, centuries and millennia. So this was no, this was no uh, distant kind of corner of the world that no one wanted. So Yahweh making this promise is he is promising this new Eden. I think that's mm. really fantastic. Yeah, actually, as you both were sharing the last two promises, it made me think actually back to Eden and how they're almost a reversal of the curses on Adam and Eve in some way when I think about like, the numerous offspring, the blessing of the land, and how, yeah, some of the curses on Adam and Eve were the, was the pain in the childbirth, but it was exile, it was uncooperative land. And so it's interesting seeing this this almost reversal here with these blessings. It's exactly, that's Yahweh creating, Yahweh recreating, forming, reforming. It's Yahweh's hand bringing about transformation. It's beautiful. Promise six, kings will come from you. Part of what's so fascinating about this is that we see Yahweh's disinterest in a king. We see that early on, right? He doesn't want his people to have kings. And yet he says, kings will come from you. Part of what gets bound up in this that we'll see as we get closer and closer to the, the time of the kings is that Yahweh has this ideal of what he wants for his people, but he also meets them where they are and he's willing to allow what they need based on where they are, which is the whole idea of where the kings come from. So when we go back to our chart, we can look at promise six here and see the kings will come from you will be fulfilled in first and second Samuel, first and second Kings. And we'll trace out that time of the United Kingdom with Saul and then David and then Solomon. And then even as it follows with the divided kingdom and all of the things that play out there. So this becomes important in the story later as this ties into the New Testament. Courtney, you want to explain that piece a little bit? Sure. I, I think the incredible thing about this uh, idea of kings coming from you, I think that also takes us back to Genesis 1 and Adam and Eve. They, they were kind of like vice regents who were to rule over the earth. And so God, with his people, he intends to get to the place where he's going to rule with them forever. So he's setting up a dynamic where the, the people with him are to reign, but they want this one king. Uh, he promises Abraham that kings will come from him, and kings do come from him. Kings of Edom, the descendants of Esau, come from him. But more specifically, kings come through the line of David, who God promises to build a dynasty through. And I think all those Davidic kings who are descendants of Abraham as well are pointing to the one king who is Jesus, who is going to come. And we find this traced in Jesus's genealogy in Matthew 1, where the, the Davidic kings are set out to show us that Jesus does fulfill this promise of being a king who comes through the line of Abraham and the line of David to be the king of Israel, but really the king of all the nations. And that's one of the reasons why I think we have this genealogy. Sometimes we wonder, why are those in the New Testament? It serves a purpose of connecting Jesus to these promises that we find in the Old Testament. Okay, so this leads us to the last promise, promise seven. And this is, uh, I mean, this is really the ultimate fulfillment. It's, it's a beautiful idea. All people on earth will be blessed 
through Abraham. So Courtney, tell us what that's about. So I I think we we have here a continuation of an idea that begins in Genesis 3.15, where the offspring, the descendant, the, the seed of Eve, one particular descendant is going to be the one that deals with Eve at its source and really frees us from the curse. And this lineage is traced through Abraham, through David. But God is saying right here that this one particular offspring of Abraham is going to be the means through which his blessing is going to return to all the nations who have by now been alienated from God at Babel. And in in Genesis 22, 18, uh, God reiterates a promise by saying that through Abraham's offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And part of what he's saying there is that one particular offspring, this is Paul's interpretation, of Abraham is going to be the means through which blessing will come again to all the nations. And so it's pointing to Jesus, because in Galatians 3, in verse 78, uh, Paul writes, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance, Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. And then he says in verse 16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. And so Paul takes this promise that God gives to Abram that all people are going to be blessed through him to say that that promise comes through one specific descendant of Abraham, and that is Jesus. And he says that it comes by means of our, like Abraham, having faith, but now faith in Jesus, and that enables God to deal with our sin and to put us back in that place where he always wanted us to be from Genesis 1, where he's able to bless our lives. Because what thwarts his blessing is our own disobedience. So God has found a workaround through Jesus. It's an incredible promise. And it's an incredible thread to trace all the way through scripture to G- from Abraham to Jesus. It, it really is amazing. Did he just use thread? He just used thread. Yeah. <laughs> that was planned. Yeah. And I said thread. Amazing. I said thread as opposed to tread, which is how we would normally pronounce it in Jamaica. Oh. <laughs> Very, very culturally sensitive. Thank you, Courtney. You know, this, this, I mean, this episode, this conversation is, it's so much about this meta narrative that we've been trying to talk about, this thread that, that goes through the whole of scripture, these promises that now become threads that kind of tie this whole thing together. It's just beautiful. And you know, one of the things that we've spent a lot of time on, we typically will spend half the time talking about the story and half the time talking about spirituality. I know this this one's a little bit different because we had to lay this groundwork. We touched on the importance of the idea of promise, which is a huge part of our spirituality and how we respond to that. But, you know, Hannah, is there anything else that you could maybe add as a takeaway of how do we think about this on the idea of spirituality? What does this lesson say to us and how we orient or posture our mm. life? Yeah, I think something I'm still mulling over is when you t- spoke about the receptivity and the 
kind of the willingness of Abraham right at the start of the episode. And I think that's something I'm leaving with is the way that he was able to embody that before the promises that we've just discussed were fulfilled. I think it's interesting that Abraham himself didn't seem to question his calling. I know that was a question I had earlier, like why Abraham, what made him so special? But he just was called by God and it says he went. And I think about those that come after him who questioned like Moses, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt or Gideon that'll come later in Judges. Like, how can I save Israel? Like I'm the weakest in my family. Um, but there was none of that from Abraham. And I don't, I, I think it's that trust. It could be considered, I don't know, audacious that he just was like, okay, God's calling me. There's a real trust there. But I, I feel like that receptivity is really seen in Genesis 22, and we touched on that. That's really a climax in the story of Abraham, that testing of Abraham or the binding of Isaac, as it's called in the Torah. I took a class on Genesis last year, and it was taught by a Hebrew Bible scholar. His name is John Levinson. He's also Jewish, but he introduced us to the word hineni in the Hebrew, and it appears three times in that chapter, chapter 22. And there's no great English equivalent for that word, but we've translated it as here I am. And it means readiness, like alertness, attentiveness. And we see it, Abraham use it twice to God in verse 1 of chapter 22. And again in verse 11, to the angel of the Lord. And again to Isaac in verse 7, it's translated as yes, though. But I, I love that refrain throughout the chapter and actually throughout his life it's that i'm here i'm ready i'm willing and it, my professor even spoke about how even today in the jewish community they have a hineni prayer it's a meditation something that's recited on yom, yom kippur and sung actually so it's more than words it's a posture you spoke about what posture i guess to have from abraham and i think that's a posture I want to imitate, that attentiveness to God's call um, and readiness to follow before we know what's coming, before we've seen the fulfillment of promises. Um, so that's something I'm thinking about. Mm. Well, that's, I mean, that's such a great way to bring this lesson in because when we think about what God hopes to do through us, what he intends to do through us, we have no idea right? We, we don't know. Abraham didn't, he could never have possibly grasped what we get to see. And it makes you wonder, I love, you know, Courtney was talking about five or 600 years later, go, okay, how is the choice that we make to be ready to posture ourselves to say, here I am, how is that going to affect the world in five or 600 years? What will God do through us and our descendants that will actually change the trajectory of the future based on our willingness to just say yes? And I, there's just something really beautiful there. And, and we know we get the both end here, right? We get the both end of the blessing now that yes, it's true that when we say yes to God, that we're blessed now. And yes, that God is our bodyguard. Yahweh is our bodyguard now. And yes, he does make us great now. And he does even influence people from us, right? Our children and our children's children now. So we get to see some of those blessings, but some of that we won't see play out for a long, long time. So it is a, it is come back to faith. It does come back to God promises. It will go well with you 
if you're willing to say yes to me. And we don't get to see the full effect of that, but that's what faith is. Faith is saying, I trust you and I take you at your word, Yahweh, that yes to you will mean blessing in my life now and blessing for my generations to come. So really love that insight, Hannah. Courtney, Dr. (laughs) Bailey, so fantastic to have you with us uh, today for this conversation. You really added a lot to chew on and think about. Really appreciate your work and all that you're doing. And really, it was special to have you. So our next episode, which secret, you know, wink, wink, Hannah and I actually recorded the next episode <laughs> yesterday. We did. Is, is <laughs> going to be on the Suzerain Vassal Treaty, which is really fascinating, uh, really fun thing to talk about what God does then in Genesis 15. And so hopefully our Listeners will be excited about the coming of that episode as well. So thank you both. Always great to be together. Courtney, thank you for joining us. It's been a joy. We'll see you, you, Hannah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. It's great to be with you. Thank you for joining this Thread Conversation. We're more than a podcast. Check out threadpodcast.org for more immersive content. Though I'm way down here, I get a better view of this boundless world.